This is a reading of the book by Rudolf Steiner entitled Anthroposophical Guidelines, uh, also translated as Anthroposophical Leading Thoughts. I am on page 103 of the ebook. This is part 13. The last part should be the end of the book. And I am at the subsection entitled Memory and Conscience. In the sleeping state, man is devoted to the cosmos. He brings to the cosmos the results of previous earth lives when he descends from the spirit-soul world to the earth. He withdraws this content of his humanity from the cosmos when awake. Devotion to the cosmos and withdrawal from the cosmos is the rhythm between birth and death. The withdrawal of the human spirit-soul from the cosmos is, at the same time, a reception of same by the senses' nervous organization. The physical and life processes are united with the human spirit-soul for unified activity when in the waking state. Sense perception, formation of memory pictures, and imagination are contained in this activity. These activities are bound to the physical body. The representations, the thinking in which man becomes conscious of what takes place semi-consciously in perception, imagination, and memory, are bound to the thinking organization. In this same thinking organization lies the field through which man experiences his self-consciousness. The thinking organization is a stellar organization. If it lived out its existence as such, alone, then man would have no self-consciousness but a God's consciousness. But the thinking organization is a stellar organization drawn out of the star's cosmos and transferred to earthly occurrence. Man becomes a self-conscious being when experiencing the stellar world on earth. This, therefore, is the field of man's inner life in which the divine spiritual world, which is bound to man, releases him in order that he can become human in the full sense of the word. But immediately beneath the thinking organization, where sense perception, imagination, and memories take place, the divine spiritual world lives together with humanity. One can say that in the unfolding of memory, the divine spiritual lives in man's waking state. The other two activities, sense perception and imagination, are only modifications of the formation of memory pictures. The inception of memory pictures originates in sense perception, in the substance of imagination 
what is retained of this substance illuminates the soul. The sleeping state carries man's spirit soul out into the cosmos. He is immersed into the divine spiritual cosmos by this activity of his astral body and his eye. He is not only beyond the physical world, but also beyond the stellar world. But he is within the divine spiritual beings through whom his existence originated. In the present time of cosmic evolution, these divine spiritual beings act in such a way that they instill the moral cosmic essence in the astral body and the eye during the sleeping state. All the cosmic occurrences in the sleeping person are real moral occurrences and have nothing at all to do with what occurs in nature. Man carries these occurrences as after-effects from the sleeping into the waking state. The after-effects themselves remain in the sleeping state. For man is only awake in the life which tends toward thinking. What is happening in the willing sphere during the waking state is wrapped in dullness such as during sleep the whole soul is. But the divine spiritual continues to weave in this dullness of will in the waking state. The human being is morally as good or as bad as he can be according to how close he can come to the divine spiritual when sleeping. <clears throat> and he comes closer or remains distant according to the moral direction of his previous earth lives. From the depths of the waking soul's being resounds during sleep, together with the divine spiritual world, what is able to be implanted in this soul? What resounds is the voice of conscience. This shows that whereas the materialistic viewpoint is mostly inclined to explain things based on nature, spiritual cognition sides with morality. In memory, the divine spiritual essence acts directly on the waking human being. In conscience, this divine spiritual essence acts indirectly as after-effect in the waking human being. Memory formation occurs in the nervous senses organization. Conscience formation occurs as a purely soul-spiritual process, but in the metabolic limbs organization. Between these lies the rhythmic organization. Its activity is cultivated on two sides as a polarity. In its breathing rhythm it has an intimate relation to sense perception and thinking. 
In lung breathing, the process is coarsest. It becomes ever finer, until, as a refined breathing process, it is sense perception and thinking. Sense perception is very close to breathing, but breathing by the sense organs, not by the lungs. More distant from lung breathing and supported by the thinking organization is representation, thinking. And what borders on the rhythm of blood circulation, an inner breathing which is bound to the metabolic limbs organization is revealed as imaginative activity. This extends psychologically into the willing sphere as the circulatory rhythm extends into the metabolic limbs organization. In imaginative activity, the thinking organization approaches the willing organization. It is a submerging of the waking person into the sleeping sphere of his will. In the case of people who are developed in this way, the contents of the mind appear like dreams in the waking state. Goethe was organized in such a way. Thus, he told Schiller that he could interpret his poetic dreams for him. A different organization was active in Schiller. He lived from what he brought with him from his previous earth lives. He had to seek imaginative substance with a strong will. For its overall intentions, the Aramonic power counts on those people who are disposed to imagination, whose sense perception seems to develop into imaginative pictures on its own. With the help of such people, this power hopes to completely sunder the evolution of humanity from the past and point it in the direction it wants. Luciferic power counts on those people who are organized toward the willing sphere, who strongly transform sense perceptions into imaginative pictures through love for ideology. Through such people, it would like to completely maintain human evolution within the impulses of the past. In this way it could prevent mankind from submerging into the sphere where the Aramonic power must be overcome. On earth man stands between two opposite poles. Above him the stars are spread. From them radiate the forces related to everything which is calculable and regularity on earth. Regular changes from day to night, seasons, longer cosmic periods, they are the earthly reflection of stellar processes. The other pole radiates from the interior of the earth. Irregularity works in it, wind and weather, thunder and lightning, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, reflect this inner earthly process. The human being is an image of this stellar earthly state of being. The stellar order lives in his thinking organization, 
earthly chaos in his metabolic limbs organization. In the rhythmic organization, the earthly human being experiences himself in free equilibrium. From the Gertianum, February 1925. Guideline 174. The human being is spiritually, physically organized from two sides. Firstly, from the physical, etheric cosmos. What streams into this organization from the divine spiritual essence lives in it as the forces of sense perception, the capacity for memory and imaginative activity. Number 175. Secondly, man is organized according to his previous earth lives. This organization is completely soul-spiritual and lives in him through his astral body and his eye. What lives as divine spiritual essence in this human essence radiates as the voice of conscience and everything associated with it. Number 176 In his rhythmic organization man has the continuous unifying of the two sides by divine spiritual impulses. By the experiencing of rhythm, the force of memory is carried to the will and the power of conscience into the realm of ideas. Subsection entitled The Supposed Extinguishing of Spiritual Knowledge in Modern Times. In order to correctly judge anthroposophy in its relation to the evolution of the consciousness soul, one must again observe the spiritual constitution of civilized humanity, which began with the advent of natural science and reached its peak in the nineteenth century, and compare its character with that of previous ages. In the previous ages of conscious evolution of humanity, knowledge was seen as what brought man together with the spirit world. Knowledge was considered to be what related man to spirit. In art and religion, knowledge lived. This changed with the advent of the consciousness soul. Knowledge began to have little to do with a large part of human soul life. It was used to investigate the development of man's relation to existence when he concentrated his senses and his intellectual judgment toward, quote, nature, unquote. But people no longer wanted to use it to determine how man develops his relation to the spirit world when he uses his capacity for inner perception as opposed to his senses. Thus the necessity arose to associate human spiritual life to past knowledge, to tradition, instead of to the present. Human soul life was torn in two. Striving for knowledge of nature in the present was the goal on the one hand. On the other hand was the experience 
of a relation to the spiritual world from which knowledge flowed from olden times. All understanding of how this relation came about in previous times was gradually lost. Humanity possessed the tradition, but no longer the way in which the traditional truths had become known. One could only believe in the tradition. Someone who considered the spiritual situation around the middle of the nineteenth century with complete presence of mind would have to recognize that humanity had come to the point where it could only be considered capable of developing cognition which had nothing to do with the spirit. Humanity of previous times was able to investigate the spirit. However, the capacity for this kind of investigation had been lost. The consequences of this attitude was not taken into account. Rather, it was said, knowledge about the spiritual world is simply not attainable. It can only be an object of faith. In order to shed some light on this fact, let us look back to the times when Grecian wisdom had to retreat before a Christianized Rome. When the last Grecian philosophy schools were closed by the emperor Justinian, the last keepers of the old wisdom migrated out of the region where European spirituality was meant to develop. They found a home in the Gandhi Shapur Academy in Asia. This was one of the places in the East where, through Alexander's actions, the old knowledge was preserved in the form Aristotle had been able to give it. But it was then taken over by the Oriental stream, which could be called Arabism. On the one hand, Arabism was a premature unfolding of the consciousness soul. It offered the possibility of a premature soul life, working in the direction of the consciousness soul, to spread like a spiritual wave from Asia to Africa and southern and western Europe, and filled certain Europeans with an intellectualism which should have only appeared later on. In the 7th and 8th centuries, southern and western Europe received spiritual impulses which should not have appeared before the consciousness soul epoch. That spiritual wave could awaken the intellectual in man, not, however, the more profound experience through which the soul enters into the spiritual world. Although the human being activated his intellectual ability from the 15th to the 19th centuries, he could only reach a profundity of soul which did not touch the spiritual world. The Arabism which entered into European spiritual life held man's intellect back from the spirit world. It brought the intellect prematurely into an activity that could only grasp the natural world. And this Arabism proved itself to be very powerful. Whoever absorbed it began to feel, mostly unconsciously, 
pride in his soul. He felt the power of intellectualism, but not the incapability of the mere intellect to penetrate reality. Thus he gave himself over to the external reality of the senses, but it did not occur to him to approach spiritual reality. This was the case for spiritual life during the Middle Ages. It had the vast traditions of the spirit world, but the mind was so intellectually impregnated, one might even say secretly, by Arabism, that knowledge had no access to the sources from which these traditions derived. From the early Middle Ages on, a battle went on between what man felt instinctively as a relation to the spirit and the form thinking had absorbed through Arabism. One felt the world of ideas within. He experienced it as something real. But he didn't find the strength in his soul to experience the spirit in the ideas. Thus, realism arose, which felt that reality existed in the ideas but could not find this reality. Realism heard the cosmic word speaking to the world of ideas, but was incapable of understanding its language. Nominalism, opposed to this view, denied that the speaking even existed because it could not be understood. According to nominalism, the world of ideas was only a sum of formulas in the human mind without roots in a spiritual reality. This current continued into the 19th century. Nominalism became the mode of thinking for knowledge of nature. It constructed a magnificent system for the observation of the natural world, but destroyed insight into the essence of the world of ideas. Realism experienced a lifeless existence. It knew about the reality of the world of ideas, but could not attain to it with living knowledge. We will attain to it when anthroposophy finds the way from the ideas to the spiritual experience in the ideas. Truly progressive realism as a path of knowledge must stand side by side with natural scientific nominalism, thereby showing that knowledge of the spiritual in humanity is not extinguished but can be renewed in human evolution by newly opened sources in the soul. From the Gertianum, March 1925 Guideline 177 Observing the development of humanity in the natural scientific age initially offers a sad perspective. Human knowledge with respect to the outer world is brilliant. On the, other hand, on the other hand, a kind of consciousness has arisen which considers that knowledge of the spirit world is no longer even possible. Number 178. 
It seems as though man possessed such knowledge only in ancient times, and that, as regards the spiritual world, one must be satisfied accepting the old traditions and making them objects of faith. Number 179. Due to the resulting uncertainty in respect to the relation of man to the spiritual world during the Middle Ages, a disbelief in the spiritual content of ideas arose in nominalism, the continuation of which is the modern view of nature. And, as the awareness of the reality of ideas in realism, which, however, can only find its realization through anthroposophy. Subsection entitled The Historical Turbulence at the Dawning of the Consciousness Soul. The downfall of the Roman Empire, in conjunction with the appearance of peoples who arrived from the East, the so-called migration of nations, is an historical event which the researcher must always keep in mind. For the present still contains many after-effects of these historical shocks. But an understanding of these events is not available to external historical considerations. One must look into the souls of the people involved in the migration of nations and the downfall of the Roman Empire. The Greek and Roman cultures blossomed during the unfolding of the comprehension or sensitivity soul or intellectual soul. Yes, the Greeks and the Romans were the essential bearers of this unfolding. But the development of this stage in those peoples did not contain a seed which would allow the consciousness soul to develop in the right way from itself. All the spirit and soul contents in the comprehension or sensitivity soul or intellectual soul came to light in the rich life of Greek and Roman culture. It could not, however, advance under its own power to the consciousness soul. Nevertheless, the consciousness soul stage did appear, of course. It was as if the consciousness soul did not emerge from the personality of the Greek and the Roman, but from something implanted from outside. The bonding and the release from the divine spiritual essence, about which so much has been said in these considerations, occurs in the course of time with differing intensity. In ancient times it occurred in human evolution as a powerful intervention. During the first Christian century in Greece and Rome its power was weaker, but it did exist. As long as the comprehension or sensitivity soul or intellectual soul unfolded in them, the Greek and the Roman felt, unconsciously but meaningfully for the soul, release from the divine spiritual essence, along with increasing human independence. This ceased in the first Christian centuries. The dawning of the consciousness soul was experienced as a renewed connectedness to the divine spiritual. Evolution was reversed 
from a greater to a lesser independence of soul. Christian content could not be integrated in the human consciousness soul because the latter could not yet be integrated into humanity. Therefore Christian content was experienced as something given from without, from the spiritual exterior world, but not something with which one could conjoin by means of one's own knowledge. It was otherwise with the peoples who came from the northeast. They went through the comprehension or sensitivity soul stage or intellectual soul stage in a way which they felt was dependent on the spirit world. They began to feel a degree of human independence when the earliest forces of the consciousness soul dawned at the beginnings of Christianity. For them, the consciousness soul was directly bound to humanity. They felt a pious inner unfolding of forces as the consciousness soul awoke in them. In this sprouting dawn of the consciousness soul, those peoples received Christianity. They felt it as something born in their souls, not as something given from without. This was the attitude with which those peoples approached the Roman Empire and all its attributes. It was the attitude of Arianism, the doctrine of Arius, denying that Jesus was of the same substance as God and holding instead that he was only the highest of created beings, viewed as heretical by most Christian churches. End of aside, as opposed to Athanasianism, aside the teachings of Athanasius, 4th century Bishop of Alexandria, asserting that Christ is of the same substance as God, adopted by the Council of Nicaea as orthodox doctrine. End of aside, a profound antithesis in world history. At first, only the in-streaming, divine spiritual essence acted in the Roman and the Greek consciousness soul, still external to humanity, it was not yet fully united with their earthly life. In the dawning consciousness soul of the Franks, Germans, and so forth, the unification of the divine spiritual with humanity was still weak. Then the Christian content, which lived in the consciousness soul that hovered over humanity, began to spread. But it remained an inner urge an impulse within humanity awaiting its unfolding, which can occur only when a certain stage in the unfolding of the consciousness soul has been reached. The time, beginning with the first Christian centuries until the consciousness soul age, was one in which man could not unite knowledge with spiritual content. Therefore he connected externally to it. He, quote, explained, close quote, it, and thought about why soul forces were not sufficient to achieve cognitive union with it. He differentiated between the areas where knowledge was sufficient and those where it was not. 
he renounced activating soul forces to obtain knowledge of the spirit world. And then came the time, at the turn of 17th and 18th centuries, when the soul forces, which were inclined toward spiritual knowledge, were completely diverted from it. Man began to live exclusively in the soul forces which were directed toward sense perception. The forces for knowledge of the spirit became apathetic, especially during the 18th century. Thinkers lost the spiritual content in their ideas. In the idealism of the first half of the 19th century, they presented spiritless ideas as the creative world content. Fichte, Schelling, Hegel, for example. Or they pointed to something supersensible, which evaporates because it is bereft of spirit. Spencer, John Stuart Mill, and others. Ideas are dead when they do not seek the living spirit. The spiritual vision for the spiritual was now lost. A, quote, continuation, close quote, of the old spiritual knowledge is not possible. The human soul forces, with the consciousness soul unfolding in them, must strive for a renewed elementary and directly living union with the spirit world. Anthroposophy wishes to be this striving. In the spiritual cultural life of the present age, it is first and foremost the leading personalities who do not know what anthroposophy wants to do, and therefore many others who follow them are also deterred. The leaders live in a soul content which has gradually become unaccustomed to using spiritual forces. For them it is as though a person with a paralyzed organ were called upon to use it. For in the time from the sixteenth century till the second half of the nineteenth century the higher forces of knowledge were paralyzed and humanity was completely unconscious of this. It considered the one-sided use of knowledge directed to the world of the senses as great progress. From the Gertianum, March 1925. <clears throat> Guideline 180. The Greeks and the Romans were especially predisposed for the unfolding of the comprehension or sensitivity soul or intellectual soul. They developed this soul stage to perfection, but they did not possess the inherent seeds for direct progression to the consciousness soul. Their soul life stalled in the comprehension or sensitivity soul stage or in the intellectual soul stage. Number 181. But in the time from the rise of Christianity till the age of the consciousness soul, evolution, a spirit was at work which did not unite with human soul forces. These soul forces, quote, explained, close quote, the spirit world, but did not experience it, it experience it. Number 182. <clears throat> the peoples who advanced 
with the so-called, quote, migration of nations, close quote, from the northeast toward the Roman Empire, felt within them the existence of the comprehension or sensitivity soul or intellectual soul. On the other hand, the consciousness soul was forming in this embedded feeling. The inner life of those peoples was waiting for the time when the unification of the soul with the spirit world is again possible. Subsection entitled From Nature to Sub-Nature It is said that the age of philosophy was superseded by the natural scientific age in the middle of the 19th century. And it is also said that this natural scientific age continues still today, although many emphasize that certain philosophical intentions have been reiterated. All this corresponds to the paths of knowledge which has been initiated in modern times, but not the paths of life. Man still lives in nature with his thoughts, even though he brings mechanistic thinking into this concept of nature, into his concept of nature. With his volition, he lives so much in mechanical, technical processes that it has imbued the natural scientific age with a completely new nuance. In order to understand human life, one must begin by considering it from two sides. From his previous earth lives, man brings his capacity to understand the cosmos acting from the periphery into the earth. He perceives with his senses what is acting on the earth from the cosmos, and through his thinking organization he thinks about the cosmos acting on the earth from the periphery. Thus, through his physical body, man lives in perception, through his etheric body, in thinking. What happens in his astral body and his eye works in hidden regions of his soul. It is at work, for example, in his destiny. However, one must not begin seeking it in complicated situations of destiny, but in the elementary, everyday events of life. Man binds himself with certain earthly forces in that he orients his organism with these forces. He learns to stand upright and to walk. He learns to position himself with his arms and hands in the equilibrium of the earthly forces. These forces are not those which stream in from the cosmos. Rather, are they simply earthly. In reality, nothing the human being experiences is an abstraction. He only doesn't see where the experience comes from. So he constructs abstractions from ideas about realities. He talks about mechanical laws. He thinks he has abstracted them from the world of nature. That is, however, not the case. Rather, all the purely mechanical laws man experiences in his soul are related to his orientation to the earth, standing 
walking, etc. This clearly indicates that mechanics are purely earth-oriented. For the laws of nature concerning color, sound, and so forth have streamed to earth from the cosmos. It is only in the earthly region where the mechanical is implanted in the natural laws, as it is first implanted and experienced by the human beings on earth. Far and away the most active element that works through technology in today's civilization and in which it is so involved is not nature but sub-nature. It is a world that emancipates itself downwardly from nature. When the Oriental strives for the spirit, he tries to leave the equilibrium which derives from the earth. He assumes a position of meditation which brings him into cosmic equilibrium. The earth no longer affects his organism's orientation. Parenthesis, this is not for the purpose of imitation, but only to clarify what is meant here. Anyone familiar with my writings knows how in this respect spiritual life in the East and in the West differ. Close parenthesis. The human being needed this relation to the earth for the development of his consciousness soul. In recent times the tendency has arisen to experience in actual doing everything man needs for this development. In settling in the earthly region he encounters the Aramanic element. With his own resources he must find the right relation to this Aramanic element. But in the technological age, he has so far not been able to acquire the correct relationship to Aramonic civilization. Man must find the strength, the inner cognitive force, in order not to be overwhelmed by Araman in this technological culture. Sub-nature must be understood as such. This is only possible when man reaches at least as far up in outer earthly supranature as he has descended into technological subnature. The times require knowledge that transcends nature because it must get the better of a dangerous inner life content which has descended to a level below nature. <laughs> of course, we are not suggesting the previous stages of civilization should be repeated, but that a way must be found by humanity which leads to the correct relation between the new cultural situation, himself, and the cosmos. Nowadays, only the very few realize what meaningful spiritual tasks await humanity. Electricity which after its discovery was celebrated as the soul of nature's existence, must be recognized for its ability to divert from nature downward to subnature. Man must not allow himself to be diverted along with it. In the times when a technology independent of nature did not exist, man found the spirit through the observation of nature.
technology made independent of nature caused humanity to concentrate on mechanistic materiality as the only reliable science. In this, all the divine spiritual essence related to the genesis of human evolution is absent. This sphere of activity is dominated by the Aramonic. In spiritual science, the other sphere is created in which the Aramonic is not present, and it is just in the cognitive absorption of that spirituality to which the Aramonic has no access, where humanity is strengthened in order to confront Araman in the world. Given from the Gertianum, March 1925, Guideline 183. In the natural scientific age, which began in the middle of the 19th century, the cultural activities of humanity have been gradually sliding down, not only to nature's lowest regions, but under nature. Technology has become sub-nature. Number 184. This demands that man find a spiritual cognition in which he raises himself as far into supra-nature as he has sunk under nature with subnatural technological activity. Thereby he creates the inner strength not to go under. And the last one, number 185. An earlier conception of nature still contained the spirit with which the source of human evolution is united. Gradually, the spirit has disappeared from the conception of nature. It has been replaced by purely aramonic concepts that have passed over into what is a technological civilization or culture. Uh, footnote by the translator to end the book. Rudolf Steiner died on March 30, 1925. These are the last words he wrote. At the time, radios were still a rarity. It was still the age of steamboats and books were set by hand. Technology and electronics were in their infancy. That's the end of the book. I'm on page, the e-book ends on page 113 of the book Anthroposophical Leading Thoughts in this particular translation by Mr. Smith. It is translated as uh, Anthroposophical Guidelines. It is also known as The Michael Mystery.